five years. Here we are. God has been so, so good to us. Days when we didn't know. Days when we had other thoughts of what was going on. God was still good to us. My wife is in Texas. I promise I won't be doing this much. Okay, if you're on this side, smile and wave. Okay, in the middle. Over there. Good, thank you. I told her I was going to put my iPad around my neck on a chain, but I couldn't figure out how to do it, so. Next best thing. I'm going to move this thing so I can figure out how to get around. It's, you know, it's going to be new for everyone in all of our uh, situations here. You know, I'm probably not going to stand still. Now I have more room, more room to roam. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about gaining ground. It seems an appropriate way to, uh, to, to start this new adventure for us. Gaining ground. When you realize we just walked about, I don't know, about 200 paces from the front of the other building to here. So from where I would normally have been talking to you today to standing right here is about 200 paces. It's not a lot in life. You walk 200 paces to the parking lot at the grocery store sometimes. You certainly walk more than that around in your day unless you've got one of those days off when you're just planted on the couch the whole day. 200 paces isn't much, but it's a transformational move for our congregation. Look around you. There's room to grow here. We have not had room to grow since the first year we were in that building. We filled it up in the first year, and we've been kind of constrained by the the seating in that room since then. We tried two services, but you didn't seem to like it, so we went back to one. I am looking forward to see who God places in the seats around you. Is this your place? Have you found your seat? Did you get first try and find it? Some of you are going to need to move. Now, hopefully you've already found out that in the middle, you have armrests. So if you like your privacy and you like that person next to you, kind of in a fence on the other side, the middle's for you. If you like a little more room to spread out, if you'd like to be able to lay your baby down, on the edges, no armrests. You have room to grow. So be careful. You don't want to take up two seats. We are trying to make the place as flexible and as comfortable and as, uh, with as many possibilities as we could in the space. As we talk about gaining ground today, welcome to the new ground. Welcome to some hard-fought games. Some really, some difficult days have passed between the dream of this opportunity and this moment. And some of us have some dreams that are yet to be fulfilled in our own lives. Some of us are sitting there on a dream that's been tough. Some of you have won that dream. Some of you have marked some moments and 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 even in the last week or two, you've you've seen some things that were just in your imagination come to fruition. Today I want to go to what might be considered an unusual place to talk about gaining ground. But I want to talk about that moment when Jesus decides to cross the lake and start a new work. It's in Mark chapter 5 where we're going to find the story this morning. If you have your Bible with you, you can look there. I know you can turn it on in your device, so if your face starts turning blue, I will not imagine that you're playing a game. Is it just me or is this mic uh, kind of making noises? All right, I'm going to move it out away from my mouth, guys. See if that helps. There will be things to be learned. Is that better? Oh, good. It's bothering me too. ADD makes a good preacher sometimes, but it doesn't make good for opportunity to pay attention. So as we talk about gaining ground, I want you to remember this date, this this time. Mark chapter 5 has Jesus crossing, coming to the country of the Gadarenes. Now you know a little bit about this. Now 
if you're reading your Bible and you've got the Gadarenes and the Gergesenes and the Gergesen, it's just really difficult to figure out. They're actually Gadarenes and Gergesenes are on opposite sides of the lake. They are not the same place. Gadarenes is the Greek place. Gergesenes, that's the Jewish place. On one side is the Greek and Roman culture entirely engulfing. It's called the Decapolis in the Bible. There are ten cities. Decapolis, ten cities on that side. And the Roman and Greek cities. And they look like Roman and Greek cities. Uh, one of the best preserved cities in the, in the region, Roman cities in the region, is, is on that side, Bet-Shan. And if you were to go there today, you'd see great pillars. You'd see a, a massive theater. It's a huge archaeological site. And when you go to Israel, you should go by and see it. Two, three years. We're going back. Maybe four. But you should save your quarters. Your nickels aren't going to get you there. But go. You should go. You should go. It will change the way you look at the, at the Bible. That's the probably southernmost city in the Decapolis. And Jesus is about to go across to that side. He, in fact, gets to the other side and gets this amazing greeting. You remember the story? He's crossed over to the other side, to the Gadarenes, and he gets this interesting moment, this greeting that comes. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and he had come out of, when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs. Out of where? The tombs. Out of the tombs. Man, it's weird to see these things so close. A man with an unclean spirit who had his, who had his dwelling among the tombs. So this guy comes running out of the tombs. After Jesus. It's so cool to me how the Bible cycles things. Jesus comes out of the tomb after all of us. This guy comes out of the tombs after Jesus. He was so homeless, he had to live with the dead. There was no room for him. There was no place for him. He had no one who would let him into his house. He was so crazy, he was scary. He was so crazy, people regularly tried to chain him up. I want to see that group. The group who captured him and got him chained up. If the guy was breaking chains, which he did to get away, that was one strong man. But he had, he had found a way to live, get some shelter, but the only shelter he could find was in those tombs. Limestone caves all over that region, and they would bury their dead in those limestone caves. And so he was living among the dead. His whole life was in the midst of death comes running out of the tomb as Jesus gets off the boat. You know, even crazy people have moments of sane responsibility and, re- and response. Even crazy people potentially catch a glimpse of what's real. This, we'll find out this man is demon-possessed by a legion of demons. But even at that, there's enough in him to run after Jesus. And that's all it takes. Miraculous and powerful things happen. No one could bind this man, not even with chains, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. There's no taming him. There's no chaining him. He just keeps going. And always, always, night and day, night and day, he was in the mountains. The better word here is the hills, because there are no real big mountains there. In California, you'd call them hills. Maybe in Georgia you'd call them mountains. He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So much pain that he's inflicting pain on himself. So much sadness, so much brokenheartedness that he's actually inflicting pain on himself. It's crazy how much of that happens in our world. How much of our pain is self-inflicted. A lack of self-forgiveness, a lack of willingness to let something go where we just keep dredging it up and dredging it up and bringing it up in front of us over and over and over again. He's just killing himself. We don't know what's driving it. We know that he's demon-possessed, but there's probably a whole lot more to this story. Probably things we don't even want to know. So we're talking about gaining ground. Do you think he had some ground to gain? There's an opportunity for growth here, right? There's an opportunity for gaining ground. But I don't just want to talk about the ground under his feet. I want to talk about the ground. If you think about this story, we always go to the man. We focus on the man. But there's an interesting twist in this story. There's an interesting piece of this story. 
As Jesus and the disciples arrive here, this universal truth makes itself known out of the tomb. They arrive, he's hopping out of the boat. He's barely getting his leg out of the boat and standing on the shore. If you read Desire of Ages, the book Desire of Ages says that all of his disciples and companions fled. So this guy is so scary that 12 men ran away. And Jesus is left there by himself as they're booking it down the beach. They're like, hey, he didn't come. He did, he's staying. He's still there. Whoa, the dude is late. He's, he's bowing. He's laying down. Okay. Let's go back. I always love thinking about the disciples. Because I'm more of them. As they're running down the beach, realizing Jesus didn't come. No matter what you face, don't be scared of Jesus. No matter what we face, it doesn't make him run. It doesn't matter what the trouble is. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. doesn't scare Jesus. Jesus is starting a work in a new territory. Jesus has gotten across the, bay, across the, the lake and he's starting a mission in a new territory. Jesus is starting a new work. He's attempting to gain some ground. On the same day, so it's actually prior day, when evening had come, so that's how the same day is the day before. You follow that? When evening comes, it's the next day. So on the same day, on the prior day, when evening had come, that's when this is happening, okay? On that same day, he had said, Jesus had said, let's cross over to the other side. Now, they do a lot of crossing of the lake. They go back and forth all the time. They use the lake as sort of the freeway from between city and city. However, they're going across now. They're going from Judaism to Greco-Romanism. They're going from the religious, the spiritual, the Old Testament, the monotheistic side of the lake to the polytheistic. We don't know what we're going to worship. There's lots of choices out there. We don't know who's actually in charge. We actually think we might be in charge side of the lake. He's starting a new work. And he's doing it intentionally. Do you see this? This is not an accident. Jesus has decided to cross the lake. Jesus says to the disciples, let's go the other side. He has an appointment. Jesus has an appointment on the other side of the lake. As he's on the way to start this new work, the devil tries to stop him. You see it? As he's on the way across the lake to start this new thing, the devil attempts to stop him. It is universally true that when you're trying to grow, trying to gain some ground, you will face resistance. It is universally true that when you're trying to gain some ground, you will face resistance. It's true here. It's true in your own life. In fact, we call weightlifting resistance exercise, right? Resistance exercise. You bend your arms to pull against the resistance. Because in the resistance itself, there's a breakdown of yourself and a transformation into a new self. Resistance itself helps you grow. Whenever you're trying to gain ground, whenever you're trying to take that next step, there is always going to be resistance. With me so far? Okay. A fierce storm came up as they were getting ready, as they're trying to go across the lake. What's Jesus doing, by the way, in this storm? Do you remember? He's napping. I love that he's napping. He is not worried. High waves are breaking into the boat, and it's beginning to fill with water. Disciples are freaked out. They're doing everything they can to bail the water out and keep themselves from drowning. Jesus is napping, taking it easy, resting. The Bible actually goes so far as to say he's resting on a pillow in the back. This is not just, you know, sleeping on a bench. He came prepared. He brought his pillow. It's got Snoopy on the outside. 
his favorite? Cuddled up with it under his head? Just right. When he had gotten to the other shore, got out of the boat, his appointment was there. Did you recognize that this guy was his appointment? You know, there's only two times in the Bible where Jesus tells the disciples, we're going over here, I want to go here. He kind of goes to a specific place to meet someone. And both of them have to do with gaining new territory. Both of them having to do with starting new work. When Jesus starts to work in Samaria, he tells his disciples, we must go through Samaria. He doesn't tell them why, and they're not in charge, so they go. When he arrives in Samaria, do you remember who he meets? He meets a Samaritan woman at the well. Didn't look like he had an appointment. Not to the disciples. When we read it in history, does it look like he had an appointment? Yes, and he starts talking to this woman, and it's a little bit of a scandal that he's even doing that. And they have this interaction. The disciples are where? Gone. And when he interacts with this woman, he begins to change the way she thinks about the world. What happens in Samaria? She becomes the catalyst to the transformation that gains the new territory. Got it? Now do you see the appointment? Jesus has crossed the, 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 the lake. He's fought through the storm to get to this appointment. Think about the times you have to fight through something to get to where you need to be, to get to the transfor- transformation you have to have. He's fought through the storm to get to this appointment. He arrives, and this guy comes running out of the tomb, all covered in the stench of death, bloodied from cutting himself, probably some raggedy-looking chains still hanging on him as he arrives there next to the boat and confronts Jesus. The disciples are afraid. Jesus is just there for his appointment. Jesus has just arrived at his appointment. That's all that's happening here. Nobody seems to understand that Jesus is in control, except Jesus. The disciples certainly don't. Remember, he is the one who has been there always night and day. In the tomb crying out. Stop for a second. What would make you cry out? How bad would it have to get for you to just sit there night after night, day after day, wailing, crying out? How angry would you have to be for this to happen? How hurt would you have to be? How painful would life have to get? When you consider what's going on with this guy, he's had a pretty rough life. None of us have ever faced this before. I know most of you. I don't think any of you have faced quite this extremity. We've all had hard days. You know how anger will make you crazy? Raise your hand if you've ever been angry or crazy. Okay, the rest of you liars, raise your other hand. You're on the freeway, it's going just fine, somebody cuts you off, you're angry crazy for just a second. You're thinking about using this thing as a weapon. That is angry crazy. You're standing there talking to your 15-year-old, and they have pushed you and pushed you and pushed you up against the wall, not physically, emotionally, mentally. You're up against the wall with this 15-year-old. You just start shouting. It was a conversation a second second ago, and now it's just you, the parent, shouting at your child. That's angry crazy. Anybody ever hit a wall? Don't raise your hand. That is also angry crazy. You ever going outside and just kick something? That's angry crazy. Right back in this hall. About two weeks ago, I was angry crazy. There had been a number of things that had happened over time. And one of the big complaints is don't talk to the contractors. Talk to us. We'll talk to the contractors. Please do not get between us and our contractors. I was not trying to do that. Now, I must admit, I have a lot of opinions about how things should be done, particularly here. 
And this particular day, I was standing right back over there. And I had looked at the landscape plan, and it has all the trees in a line like a bunch of soldiers. And so I said to the landscape guy, do they have to be in a line like soldiers like that? And he said, well, I don't know. And he was kind of hemming and hawing about it. Well, can we offset them just a little bit was my question. Can we offset them just a little bit? I thought that was a conversation led by a question, not directive. I was just asking. Next day I get here. And the general contractor's leader is just about to lose his mind because I've been talking to his subcontractor. So as he took it out on Tim first, thank you, Tim, I can't see you in the dark, but thank you for being the first buffer. It was completely my fault. I'm listening to the report from Tim, and I start to get a little heated. And then I just say, I'm going to go have to go talk to these guys. By the time I'd gone from there around to there, I was pretty much angry crazy. And the first contractor, guy from the trailer I saw, I just started letting it out. And I, I, it was angry crazy. I was going to recount the conversation for you, but it would be completely ludicrous to have to hear it. At the end of the conversation, I felt better because I had let off a bunch of steam. I don't know how he felt. What was funny is the superintendent, the job superintendent came in, hearing the uh, angry, crazy behavior that was going on, came walking through that door right there, walked into the hall where he could hear this. And as he walked into the hall, he started smiling. <laughs> and after I had vented my spleen, and we came back in here, I sat right where Alan is sitting right now, and he sat about over there, and I said, I've just had enough of this. And he goes, oh, I'm glad to see you get there. I was there about two weeks ago. We should have had the conversation about angry crazy together. This guy's life has been so miserable that angry crazy is his normal. He spends his life howling at the moon because he doesn't know what else to do. Screaming into the tombs because he doesn't know what else to do. He has to blow off some steam or he's going to pull his hair out. He's going to cut himself further. He is doing damage to himself because he can't get past what's driving him inside. Kind of a fun surprise to come over here. But you still have your junk. Whatever kind of is building up through the week, through the few weeks, through the months, you're kind of bringing it along with you today. Some of you may just be tightening the cap down on that thing to try to keep it from blowing out right here in church. spouse heard it this morning when you got up. Your complaints, your frustrations, whatever it was that got you there, they were there this morning. You rolled out of bed with them. You went to bed with them. And here they are. We need to admit we sometimes do this because we take it out on the people closest to us whom we love. We take it out on our kids. We take it out on our spouse. We take it out on our friends. We dump a load of things we wouldn't dump on a stranger, on our family. It's crazy. That's what I mean. It's angry crazy. Night and day. Night and day. Night and day. That's weird. So the man has run up to Jesus. He's falling down in front of him. And he shrieks and he screams, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. This guy has run up to Jesus. He falls down on his face in a prostrate form, like a worship song, right? And as he hits the ground in this sort of worshipful 
king, something weird happens. He opens his mouth and another voice comes out. Did you see what the voice said? The demons get what's going on. You know, the guys in the boat don't really know who Jesus is yet. They're not sure who this guy is. They've been riding around with him. They've crossed the lake with him. They've just seen him calm the sea, for goodness sakes. But they're not really sure. We know all the way to the end of Matthew, they're still questioning for sure, who is this Jesus? What's he about? What's going on with that? And they're just kind of not so sure. But up comes the demonically filled man, falls down in front of Jesus. He opens his mouth. The voice of a demon comes out of his mouth. And he shrieks at him and says, why are you interfering? Interfering with what? You know, we've been living here inside this guy for a while now and we're having a good time. We're enjoying dragging him into the tombs. We're enjoying the shrieks at night. We're enjoying the fact that he's cutting himself. We're just having a good time messing with this guy. The Bible says we, 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 we struggle, we battle, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against evil principalities and powers bent on our destruction. It says that the devil comes only to steal, maim, and destroy. We don't stand a chance against him by ourselves. Inviting him into our lives is a crazy thing. This guy is bathed in it. We don't know why he let him in. We don't know how he let him in, but out he comes. Jesus, Son of the Most High God, in the name of God. Sounds like a prayer. In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Later, he'll ask him not to throw him out into the abyss. Read Revelation and tie this in, the abyss. I beg you. He recognizes who he is. So here's this guy. He runs out in front of Jesus, shrieking and crazy and just bloody, chains rattling as he falls down in front of Jesus in a prostrate worship position. And out comes this voice. Please don't torture us. Please don't mess with us. We're having a good time here. Don't mess it up. And he begged him earnestly. send them out of the boat. Don't send us out of our place. Don't send us off our turf. Don't send us away. Let us stay nearby. If you've got to throw us out of this guy, let us stay here somewhere. This is about gaining ground. This is about God This is about a missionary implant behind the scenes in this place. It's about encouragement. That's why the lake, that's why the attack when he comes to the shore. Jesus survives the lake, no problem. Remember the story, right? He gets up, he's asleep when he calms the sea. He gets up sleepily, wiping his eyes, peace be still, guys so nervous about? I was here. Pulls up on the shore, starts out of the boat. Out comes this man. Disciples. Jesus just raises his hand and stops the storm. And now the negotiation begins. This is the negotiation for the territory. This is the negotiation for the territory. What is your territory? It implies that it's something that it belongs to. It, impi- it implies that it's something that is yours. Your family is your territory. You know, the devil doesn't care if he doesn't get you, if he can get your kids. The devil doesn't care if he doesn't get you. If he can get hold of your stuff, 
if he can take, care, take your family away, if he can abuse those around you, Jim's fine with it. He actually doesn't care if you come to church as long as you don't take it too seriously. He doesn't care where you go and what you do as long as it's not transformational. Because when transformational things happen in your life, it starts to disrupt his territory. It starts to move ownership around. New, new leases are going out. Different people are taking territory. You start moving into a neighborhood and start transforming that neighborhood, start talking to your neighbors, start talking to the kids around, start impacting the people around you. You're starting to get into his business. You're starting to take over his territory. Resistance will follow. But as long as you're letting yourself go along with the flow, if you're letting the world get into you more than you're getting into the world, devil's cool with that. The question here is, I don't care if I, have to, if I have to get thrown out of this guy. It's been fun, but oh well. There are plenty more where he came from. Just don't kick us out of town. It's about territory. All my life I thought this story was about this poor guy. It is about the guy, but it's really about the guy's home. This is a struggle for the Decapolis. This is Jesus and Satan, head to head, face to face, having a battle over this region. These Romans and these Greeks, who the people on the other side of the lake don't care about. Jesus has gotten in the boat, gone across the lake, and found another group that no one else cares about to reach out to. We have to go to Samaria. Why? Because nobody cares about them over there. I have an appointment with a woman by the well. We're going over there. She will start the work. She will be the bridgehead. She will have transformational impact on it. Hey, let's go across the lake, over to the Gadarenes, over to the Decapolis, because on that side, there's a guy. He's crazy right now. He's bat crazy right now. He's living in the tombs with dead people crazy. He's screaming and howling at the moon crazy. But he will have a transformational impact on that community. He's my man. You know the other time when this happens, right? The Apostle Paul is riding along on a horse thinking he's going on God's errands when Jesus knocks him off his horse, knocks some sense in him, and sends him out. Kind of short version of the story. It's about territory. It's about transformational impact on the world. Is the world around you at your work transformed. You sit in cube land. You got your cube, right? You got the people on either side of you. Unless you're lucky and you have an end cube, then you just have one person at the air. You are blessed if you have air. Unbreathed by another person. If you live in cube land, how's your territory? How about the people on the other side of the those ones that are kind of over the fence from you, you talk to them? How are the people in your territory? You have a business. People are coming and going all, the day, all day long. You're interacting with people as they move around. How are the people in your territory? Are you impacting it? Or is it the same every day whether you're there or you're not? How about your neighborhood? How about your neighbor? How's that territory? Did you pray for them? Do you even think about them? Did you interact with them? Did you build a bigger fence when you moved in? Are you still thinking about them? How's your territory? How's your territory? The devil doesn't care about you as much as he cares about your territory. Because if you're a Christian and you're following Jesus and you're a lost cause, then it's okay as long as you're not messing with his business. See, Christianity without evangelism is mute. It's, it's hardly even a reason to worry about it. Christianity without transforming the people around us, Christianity that doesn't have feet, that walks, that doesn't make an impact on their neighbors, is useless to the world. And so the devil doesn't really care. Be a good Christian. Come to church. Enjoy it. It's great. And it is. But if there's no transformation because you live,
start going up steel? You just jumped on it. But it's okay. Jesus wakes up to sleep and takes care of it. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we got the devil for a client? I know. Nobody wants to be there because who knows what he might do. But it's not. I'm not. I'm a preacher. I'm not on the devil's list somewhere. Can I really say I'm doing my job? Please don't send us out into the out of the country. Let us go into those pigs. These pigs, they are their own testimony. These pigs, this guy, I think, is one tough dude. Think about what he survived. He has so many demonic influences in his life, they call them legion. Organized soldiers in the hands of the devil live inside of him. He is so tough that when they throw Legion out and Legion goes into a herd of 2,000 pigs, the pigs commit suicide. It's swine flu. good when you have to explain it. And when rid of that, remember he was naked before. It's a good time for a bath when you're naked. And there's plenty of water right there. We don't know the story, but the Bible says when they show up from town, he's clothed, sitting there, and he's right naked. Pigs, on the other hand, not so good. It's really good the EPA wasn't there that day. Would have been a problem. The herdsman seeing the swine fly, Trying to, trying to keep you going with me here. I just have images in my mind that not everybody else gets. The herdsmen's seeing this fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside spreading the news as they ran. Here's the cool part. These guys are not telling the good news about Jesus. They're just saying crazy stuff is going on down by the lake. The pigs just flew off the cliff into the water. All of them. And you won't believe it. You know that crazy guy from the tombs? who lives in there, who howls all night, nobody wants to see him. We've tried locking him up. We can't keep him locked up. He keeps breaking it. You know that guy? You know that guy? He is sitting there next to this guy from Galilee, clothed, and in his right mind. It's amazing. And the people rushed out to see what had happened. Flashback, woman at the well. She goes into town, into Samaria, that place where you shouldn't go because those are bad people, those Samaritans. She goes into town. She says, hey, there's a guy out by the well. I just talked to him. He told me all about myself. He told me my whole life. And the people went, okay, well, let's go see what this is. Jesus will attract a crowd. When you tell what he's doing, Jesus will attract a crowd. They go out to see what has happened. The crowd gathers around Jesus. Just you imagine all the people from these villages. You know, think Roman togas and stuff, you know, maybe bay leaf wreaths around their head or whatever. There they are. They're gathering around Jesus, and as they do, they see this man. He's still got wounds on his arms, you know. He's going to wash the nastiness out of his hair, and he doesn't smell as bad, and he's got somebody's clothes on. I wonder which one of those disciples gave up their clothes. Because if he's got clothes... Somebody else is in his t-shirt. Wouldn't it be cool if it was Jesus? Robes. Wrapped around him. A 
tell the rest of those guys, who's the most likely person to give up their robe? Jesus. He was sitting there fully clothed. And the New Living Translation says, and perfectly sane. Crazy looks gone out of his eyes. He's not howling at people and moans and things anymore. He's perfectly sane, sitting there in his right mind. Can you see the next line? The next phrase? And they're all afraid. The thing that they feared, the thing that kept them from coming into this region, from going anywhere near those tombs or those hills, is this guy, and now he's okay, and they're afraid of the guy who made him okay. Can you explain that to me? This part of the story I don't understand. You would think, hey, this guy made him okay, then maybe we should get some okayness from this guy. If he can fix him, maybe he can... They were so afraid, they began to plead with Jesus to leave. (laughs) Could you just go away, please? You're way too scary. There's too much authority in you. There's too much going on here. Can you just leave? You see, this is how it works with our relationships with God, right? When we interact with Jesus and the authority and the power of God, one of two things happen. We're drawn to him or away from him, right? We either want to be closer, we either have more impact, more involvement, more indulgence with Jesus, or we start saying, hey, we need to get away from this. This is too scary. He might ask me to do something I don't want to do. Classic, classic struggle in the believer's part, right? I don't know what he's going to ask me to do, so let me just step back. In the presence of great power and great authority, you either join it or you flee from it. And so they can't leave. This isn't where he lived. So they say, "Uh, excuse me, you don't live around here. Could you go back where you came from? Your people are on the other side of the lake. We'd like you to go back and join them. Can you imagine asking Jesus to leave? Have you? Jesus is there for the whole territory. He's there for these people. These people are his target. And everything is his. Could you go now? You're scared. Good. You're scaring your children. So the man started off. Oh, wait. Let me, I, I, I skipped a piece of the story. So the man says, can I go with you? Because he's had interaction with this great authority, and he does the opposite thing. I want to stick close to you. Can I go with you? Jesus says, no, 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 you have to stay here. I came here to talk to you because when you talk to them, it's going to change things. Stay here. You have to stay here. And so the Bible says the man started off to visit the ten towns, the Decapolis. He starts on a circuit. Now, what do you, how, do you, how long do you suppose Jesus' interaction was with this man? What do you think is the, the length? The, the, if you could say, what's the longest part of possible about, amount of time Jesus was there? What would you guess? What would be the longest amount of time? This corner, over here, I haven't talked to you in a while. How long, what is the longest amount of time you think Jesus could have been there? 30 minutes. Anybody longer? An hour. You guys are on the wrong part. It's these people are supposed to talk. One hour. Sorry? Three or four hours. Yeah, I'm thinking most, the longest possible amount of time I can imagine is six. Maybe Jesus was there six. They had lunch. They hung out. Took the guy a long time to get a bath. The pigs ran slowly and jumped off. You know, just took up some time. I don't know. But it, to me, a, a, a possible six. With, given all the possible extremities of, of, of the time frame, maybe it's six. How much theology did Jesus teach this guy in six hours? Does this guy know his Old Testament scriptures well enough to be a witness? Think about this for a second. Would you want this guy going around town, telling people about Jesus and witnessing for him? What if they have a question? What if they ask about creation? He has no schooling. No one's taught him about the biological ramifications, the possibilities of creation versus evolution. What if they have a question? 
it's not told here, but we know the end of this story. We don't know the end of his story, but we know the end of this story. We know that Jesus comes back to this region sometime later. And now the shore is filled with people waiting for him. What did they find out? Did they get Bible study? No, this guy had never had one. What did they get? I once was like this. Then I ran into Jesus. And now I'm like this. Whoa, you're the guy who was howling in the tombs. That was me. I'm sorry to scare you. Hope I didn't scare your children too much. That was my life, but it's not my life anymore. Now my life is this. And this is so much better than that because of Jesus. That's all he had to say. That's only that's that's all he had to say. That's all he had to say. He didn't have anything else. The only story he could tell was his own story. I once was lost and now I am found. I once was crazy, and now I am sane. What happened? Jesus happened. It's about territory. Because this guy builds a foothold, builds a bridge abatement, builds an entire bridge across that lake that Jesus comes back across, and it's transformational in that town. So what are your gifts? What has God blessed you with? What has God called you to? What are the strengths he's given you? What is the territory he's planted in you? What does the future look like for you? What are the gains the kingdom wants to make in you and through you? Because if we're not gaining ground, it's almost certain that we're losing. It's about the territory. This story is like the Samaritan woman's story and about the Apostle Paul's story This is about God finding a man who is pivotal in changing everything. So you stay here. Go talk to your family and friends and tell them what happened to you. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So he's coming back to Jesus. Promise. Jesus had to come to your life, if Jesus came to your life, what storms did he have to go through to get to you? Were they storms of your own making? Were other people in the way of Jesus getting to you? Were other people's testimonies, other people's talk, were other people's voices in the way of Jesus getting to you? Did Jesus have to fight through the storm of your fourth grade teacher who told you you were worthless little kid? To get to you, to tell you that you have great worth to him. Did Jesus have to fight through storms of your own making, storm clouds, storm clouds of your alcoholism, of your drug abuse, storm clouds of your memories? What did Jesus have to fight through to get to you? But the cool, by the, the the thing you have to remember is he fought through it to get to you. What are the storms Jesus has to fight through to get to you? Are they still there? Are there still times when Jesus tries to speak to you and other voices are in the way? There's resistance to him because of what someone else did or said? Or because of some habit or practice of yours? Is there something between you and he that's preventing him from really making the impact in your house, in your life, in your territory that he wants to? What does he have to pass through? Because he, he believes you were worth the fight. He goes across the lake to speak to a guy who lives in the tombs with dead people. Whose life has been so messed up, he has a legion of demons in his life. He fights through the storm to get to an appointment with a guy none of us would have talked to. Right? If we admit it, Somebody this scary is not getting my time. Way too scary. Crazy angry all the time. And yet Jesus thought he was worth the fight. He went through the storm to get to this guy. 
The disciples thought he was actually risking their lives to get to this guy. Jesus had it the whole time. But no matter what storms are between you and him, he thinks it's worth the fight to get to you. He thinks you're worth the fight. And he's willing to do what it takes to get to that point. Whatever that is. Last. We have moved over here. It's all symbolic at first. But in a very real sense, in a very personal way, it's time to take some new territory. It's time for us in our spiritual lives to take some new territory. It's time to change some of the practices that are keeping us from growing. It's time to get busy with our own personal spiritual walk, our own Bible study, our own prayer time. It's time to take some different new territory. If you're young, if you're a kid, and you're wondering, does this apply to you? Of course it applies to you. You have so much more to go. You have so much more to gain. Get the practices in your life right now. Pray, Bible study, time time with people who believe and will support what you believe. 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 If you're an adult... And you think, hey, I'm a grown-up. I got this. No, you don't. There's always more. This is God. There's an infinite game out there. It's time as a church for us to take some new territory. It's time to fill the seats with people who aren't here today. Brand new building. New worship center. New place for the church to gather. Time to take some new territory. Time to say to our friends and neighbors, the ones we've been a little nervous about inviting... You know, you didn't want to invite them because the chairs were a little uncomfortable. You didn't want to invite them because, you know, you didn't like that other space. I don't care what your reason was. Now you have a different space. Invite them to a new space. Tell them they have a choice, green chair, orange chair. You decide. Get to the expensive seats or the green ones. As a body, as a group of believers gathered here today, I want to ask you to take some new territory and make some new ground. If your spiritual life has been kind of, eh, people ask, hey, how are you doing with God? And you went, eh. People said, hey, how's your relationship with God? And you kind of didn't know what to say. It's indication that we need some new territory. If you've been hangry for a while, people just always avoid you because you're just mean and you're kind of angry for a while. Maybe it's time to take some new territory. Niceness territory. If you're so nice that you have no backbone to stand up and say anything against anybody, maybe it's time to take some, some courage territory. I don't know what your territory is. God does. And he has probably already spoken to you in the last five minutes. If the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and I believe he is, he has probably already told you what the territory is. As we were talking, something came to your mind. And you went, oh. We're going there now? Yes, we are. Because there, there is where transformation happens. And there is where the good life actually is. I just want to give you one last picture. Yesterday, this guy lived in the tombs. He was so scary, nobody wanted him around. He was so crazy that he would cut himself. He would stay up night and day, hollering and screaming, just menaced by the evil that was inside of him. Yesterday. And today, just one 24-hour period later, he goes home. Taking a little courage to go home. To go back in the village where everybody knows him. To go back and see mom and dad, sister and brother. Know just how angry and crazy he can be. 24 hours later, he shows up at the door. 
just walks into town. And as he walks into town, people are looking at him, closing the shutters on their house, pulling their kids inside the door, getting everybody out of the street. They got their dog off the street. He's so scared. And as they pull everybody in, streets clear, and he sees the door. It's his door. The door he's been going through since he was a little kid. There are scratches on that door that he made. It's the place where he carved his initials when he was 10 and was learning how to write his name. There's the door. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to go through that door. Because on the other side, he has to face all that used to be. He gets to the door and he doesn't know whether just to go in or to knock. Because he's really a stranger here. strap that keeps the door closed starts to loosen on the other side falls through and knocks the door swings open he looks into the eyes of the people he saved and again he's shaken suffering he crazy looks on his face. His hair's been washed. He's got some decent looking clothing on. But neither wants to break the silence. Finally, he finds his way. doesn't know whether to run or jump into his arms. Now as she takes a half a step forward, she begins to lift her arms to Jesus' arms around her. Tears running down both of their faces. Family members coming out of the shadows, gathering right mind because he's home because of Jesus that's what lies on the other side of territory wounds restoration Father God, it's so amazing to have come through these doors. We are so grateful for the chance we have. as we have come through these doors, we have felt the call to a different exit. I pray for your Holy Spirit 
to speak loudly to us. To draw us to you in a way that makes all the difference in what you want us to do. I pray for your spirit to gather upon us around us. To build the reconciliations that you wish to build between us and you, between us and others. To take our sinful tongues Use it any way you want to couch it in characteristics that help us to love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for fighting through any struggle to get to us.